Hi, Rodney Jane here from Bob Jane T-Marts. Specialists in tyres and wheels for over 50 years. We stock what tradies need. Tyres, wheels or batteries, we've got you covered. Steel or alloy wheels, 15 inch plus. Big brands such as Monster, R08, CSA, Fuel, PDW and Dynamic. A massive range. Tyres, we love tyres. All-terrain, mud-terrain, 4x4 and SUV tyres. We stock all the top brands such as Bridgestone, BF Goodrich, Falcon, Goodyear, Michelin and Yokohama. Make your 4x4 ute or van look awesome. Cracking deals at Bob Jane T-Marts. We won't be beaten on price. We'll look after you. Test season apply. Hi there, this is the Parked Up podcast, of course, at Parked Up. We're powered by Race Fuels, and my name is Grant Rowley, and this is a jam-packed episode of Parked Up. We've got some breaking news to lead off. We have a very, very exclusive inside access to... Gary Rogers Motorsport, famous race team, over 50 years old. They've gone through a number of uh, little iterations, but always the family team, always owned and run by Gary Rogers, the man himself. And I've uh, got to speak to a couple of key players on the inside there at the team now. Former Bathurst 1000 winners and Australian touring car and supercars contenders and now... Uh, competing in the TCR Australia, S5000, Trans Am, you name it, they are racing it. Uh, Also got a couple of uh, cool chats that Mark Fogarty did from Parked Up Plus. He spoke to Paul Morris at length, uh, a lot about Gen 3, a lot about supercars and its current state. And he also spoke to Tony Quinn, of course. Tony had uh, that really really large incident at Townsville only a few months ago and he's just recovering from uh, a pretty hefty uh, hefty shunt there and and Fogues had a uh, a great chat with him so I'm going to play the the full chat with Paul Morris the dude and I'm going to play the full chat with Tony Quinn now before I get into all of that of course I've always got a special guest and my special guest today is Tanea McLeod from the Girls on the Grid podcast. Tanea, how the hell are you? Great, Rolly. You searched very far and wide for your guest for this week. Uh, I've come from the sister podcast, the better podcast, uh, Girls on the Grid, hosted by myself and Priya Richards. If you don't listen to that, listen to that first, then come listen to Parked Up. Well, obviously, if you're listening to this, you're already listening to this. And then if you've got some spare time, you can go and listen to uh, Girls on the Grid uh, it's going really well for you guys. Good, really good numbers. You guys do your socials probably way better than Parked Up as well. Uh, are you enjoying putting the Girls on the Grid podcast together? It's a whole lot of fun. Our biggest drama is actually scheduling time together. Uh, both Priya and I are videographers full-time. So Priya works for Airtime and I work for Grant and for my own business. So the hardest part is is to find time where... We're not, you know, different opposite ends of the country or, you know, one's working nights, one's working mornings. That's the hardest part. So when we can find those little windows of opportunity to sit down and also line it up with a guest schedule as well. Yeah, it's it's a whole lot of fun to just sit and, you know, just chat for an hour or so about our passion, which is motorsport. 
Excellent. No, it's uh, it's all very good. Obviously, you're so very, very busy. So very, very busy. Uh, but it's good. The podcast is great. And guys, if you haven't checked it, uh, checked it out, of course, it's Girls on the Grid uh, every Monday. Who's on, who's on this Monday? Who's coming up? TBA. TBA. Okay, cool. Or TBC. Cool. Okay, well, uh, you can stay tuned. All right, I'll catch up with Tanea a little later on. But right now we have... Uh, some some really really cool breaking news. Uh, it's not much of a surprise for particularly for everyone in the industry. We all knew that this was coming, and it's come this morning. It's Michael Massey being confirmed as as Supercars Commission Chairman. He's back after his stint as race director for the Formula One, and of course that all came to an end after that most dramatic end-of-season race at Abu Dhabi last year. And it's great that we're going to have Michael Massey back. And with the latest news on that, here's Mark Fogarty from Parked Up Plus. Thanks, Grant. Confirmation, not unexpected, that Michael Massey is the new chair of the Supercars Commission. Massey replaces Neil Crompton, whose term as interim head of the commission was ended on June 30. The Supercars Commission oversees the technical and sporting rules. Sydney-born and now based there again, Massey has a long and distinguished history in motorsport administration here and overseas. Infamously, as Formula One race director, he was at the centre of the controversial finish to last year's World Championship and he became the scapegoat. Relieved of his role, and then dumped by the FIA in a costly settlement. Massey is also joining the South Australian Motorsport Board, revived to run the return of the Adelaide 500 this December. Both good appointments that tap into his skill as a people person whose personality promotes consensus. But those are part-time positions that don't exploit his experience and expertise. Expect to hear more news of bigger roles for Michael Massey in the near future. Thanks, folks. Of course, uh, folks was right on top of that news. And there was actually almost a sneaky, sneaky chance, Tanea, that we were going to do an extra special version of Parked Up Plus. It was going to be like Parked Up Plus Plus. So this news was breaking on Friday. And folks had given me a bit of a warning on Friday afternoon that this news was coming and we deliberated and I said, look, the only way we can get this news out is if you create an extra special podcast. And we almost did it, but the news had been leaked and uh, there was others who got ahead of the train. So uh, folks was right on the pulse of the news and uh, we didn't actually have to do that extra, extra pod, which I was kind of thankful for on a Friday night because it meant that I didn't really have to do any extra work. But, um, uh, yeah, it was thanks, folks, for uh, uh, delivering that. Of course, Tanea, you're listening to Parked Up Plus every week. We sometimes hear your voice on it. Sometimes I do um, appear on Parked Up Plus to read the news segments when the names are too complicated for Grant to pronounce. Mm. When there's a lot of winners with uh, tricky last names, Grant says, nah, stuff this, Tanea, you read it. And it does take me about 45 minutes to read a 45-second script. But anyways, we don't talk about that. You guys just hear the pretty polished version. 
cool. Uh, all right, of course, Parked Up Plus every Monday, 5 p.m. with Mark Fogarty. Now, that's enough of news. I've got the uh, – I had some cool inside access to Gary Rogers Motorsport. A really great team, a, a long-standing team in this sport, and uh, I caught up with four of their key guys. And the first one, I can't – I can't start with anyone else except the main man himself, Gary Rogers. Here he is on Parked Up. It would be remiss of me to do a GRM special without the main man himself, <laughs> Gary Rogers. Uh, very, very complimentary of you. <laughs> uh, well, you, look, you are the main man. Over 50 years in the game. Does it feel like 50 years you've been doing this? Oh, well, it probably does feel like 50 because I'm tiring a bit, but I'm still here and I'm enjoying it. So, yes, it feels like it, but I'm still loving it and we'll keep doing it. Great. We wouldn't know Australian motorsport without you. How long do you feel that you'll you'll still play a part? Oh, look, you can't answer that question. While I'm healthy and well, I'll do what I continue to do now. Uh, when I know, I'll, I'll know when I can't do it. And when I know I can't, I'll stop. I can't see you... Uh, you won't just flat out stop. I could imagine you wind back and maybe enjoy uh, enjoy the horses a little bit more, or uh, you know, a couple of glasses of red or whatever it might be. But uh, th you do have a lot of interests outside of GRM. I guess people might see you as well. This is your this is your cubby house, and this is all you do. But you do a hell of a lot outside of the racing game. Well, I do, and that's probably what keeps me firing along. I mean, and the, probably the most fortunate thing is when Barry sold his own business years and years ago and came here and helped out. I mean, that really has is, is helped my other interests immensely because I do a lot of commercial building. I train my trotters. I brood a few. I really like doing those things. Uh, I don't think I'll ever fade away, but I'll know when it's time to pull the pin. And I really don't want to fade away. I just as soon have a little bit of fun on the way through and I won't be having the reds. I'll be having nice cold beers. I love it. Perfect. That, uh, that suits my style. Uh, okay, your racing program at the moment. It's obviously changed quite a bit in just the past couple of years. Uh, your assessment on how things are going in, the, in TCR, Trans Am, S5000 and I guess overarching the, the Speed Series and ARG world. Oh, ARG World's coming along fine. I mean, really, it's been a slow start. And, of course, we all go back to the COVID thing. The COVID thing interrupted everybody. But I thought, you know, work-wise, we were able to keep all our workforce together with the help of there was those government subsidies with some wage activity. But the fact of the matter is we got some special projects going to keep everybody here because I've got a great bunch of people and I just want to keep them together. Unfortunately, we are able to do that. The racing now has been a bit sluggish to get started, and I personally think we probably need a couple more events. But you know, that's a matter for dis, you know other decisions to be made on that. But the health of the business, I think, is quite good. I think the stand deal has been very productive for our business. It's really promoted what we do or what ARG as a racing category for the various competitors, and gives them exposure. I think, in general. You know, you either, well, you know, we've got the TCR, we've got, the, as you say, the TCR, the Trans Am, the 5000, Touring Car Masters, the GTs, there's a lot of categories in there. We just need to make sure we give all those competitors a right or a good path where we have enough events to keep them um, in the focus. And that's really what I'm trying to um, concentrate on the moment, just make sure we get the necessary financial benefits to be able to put those deals together. It's never easy, this as you well know, and 
over the years, I've been able to tie it all together bit by bit, but with dollars and cents, and keep a firing on. Okay, uh, so you'd like to so seven uh, speed series events at the moment, but do you feel there's there there should be more, and and do you, is that for the competitors to give them maximum? Well, I'm not so sure. Well, when I say more events, maybe more races, maybe a few more races at certain events, and maybe expand that whether it's with more events or with more races at the existing events, I'm really not sure because we haven't really sat down and nutted it out. But I, if I was a, um, you know, a viewer, I would want to be watching races more than once every month or two. I'd want to be seeing them on a more regular basis. And you get used to the fact that they're being there and you know if you tune on on the third Sunday or the third Saturday night or whatever, there'll be some racing to be seen. I mean, that's the big picture with this. Now, whether it comes to fruition, it still remains to be seen. But I just think there is a big market out there. And I think all the categories we've got, we've got some young, exciting drivers who are all starting to show a bit of metal. And I mean, you know, you need a bit of time to build those sorts of personalities. They're not all going to become Garth Tanders overnight, but hopefully a bit of time that will happen. We talked about uh, speed series as a whole, but what about your race team as well? It's still something that you put, you know, most focus on as well. Uh, TCR has come to Australia as, uh, you know, a, a challenger for uh, exciting touring car racing. And it's proven to be that. I mean, clearly it has been quite uh, exciting. It'd be nice to get a few more cars in there, but time will tell. This is very, very young days. You've still got to remember that. I mean, you know, we look at a lot of the categories around the world. They've been going for a long time. When I look at the amount of time we've had the TCR program up and running, the growth has been pretty good and the racing is getting better each time. So I see nothing but positivity, albeit will require some hard work and some funding. So we've got to work on both... Well. The hard work's there, the teams all work hard, we know that, but clearly we need to be able to have some additional um, monetary amounts to assist these these races to be held because it is expensive to go racing, we all know that. <clears throat> it's a lot harder to go racing, you know, I mean a racing car costs a lot more than a tennis racket. Sad but true. Mm. So what's the next big step for TCR? Is it, you know, more cars coming in? Is it is it better drivers? Is it, is it as simple as that? Well, I don't think it's as simple as that. But, I mean, I don't think you could um, be a bit harsh on the drivers to say we need better drivers. I think the drivers we've got are a good quality bunch of drivers that know how to race hard. Sure, they push and shove a bit, but that happens. That's how it is. And want that. Of course you do. And to be quite honest, if we have too many rules and regulations to stop that, people won't want to watch the racing. You don't need kamikaze pilots, but you do need forceful drivers who use a bit of common sense, take the opportunities when presented, and they muck it up occasionally, go and apologise and get on with it without people saying, don't this and don't that, it just won't work. In terms of what else we need, the circus we've got in the country, I think, are satisfactory. I think the, these cars suit the road races, they keep the circuits. I don't think there's a lot that we could change other than a bit more growth. I mean, growth would be great. A few more uh, entries into the category would be good. And that's not to say that won't be coming. The interest is growing in this. Excellent. Okay. Uh, the other thing I think people would like to know about uh, is S5000. We're in a bit of a sabbatical at the moment, uh, a bit of a gap before we get into Tasman series at the end of the year, just here at your workshop. There's, there's lots of them. And the interest for S5000 has been 
strong for the end of the year. You're expecting a, a competitive end of year Tasman series? Well, I think what's happened, people don't realise how economical these cars are. I think the minute they see those big open-wheel cars, they think, poor, this is expensive. The fact is they're not expensive. They're a lot cheaper to run than your average car. And the maintenance level, barring crashes, is quite minuscule, really. The engines are pretty reliable. Um, the maintenance level on the transmissions and everything else, you know, you've got tyre wear, you've got brake pad wear, but you can have them on, on all, uh, all forms of motorsport. But the actual inbuilt parts of the car, I mean, the cars were really designed very, very well. And other than crashing, you can run one of these cars very inexpensively. But I think the minute people see them, they think, pooh, this is expensive, you know, and they ring up. And when they do ring up, they then find out it's not expensive. And last question on S5000, you've got a rookie or young driver test coming up uh, at Tail and Bend. How, what's interest been like in that? Well, we've had a lot of interest in that, clearly, as you'd expect, because, and I think what we're trying to do there, I mean, there's a lot of young or girls and guys, I mean, look, they're roaring around there in Formula Ford, and the amount they spend on Formula Ford to do a national championship is probably not much more than what it would cost to do a 5,000 series. But I think we just want to bring these people to a proper racetrack, let them experience the cars, let the people that work around them, their engineers, their mechanical type people, their financiers, whoever it is, experience what S5000 is all about. And then I think people will say, well, gee whiz, that's not a bad option. But anyway, we're giving it a crack as we must. Keep punching, Gary. That's it. And we thank Gary Rogers for his time on Parked Up. Now, uh, he is still taking his motorsport very, very ser seriously. Of course, Gary now into his 70s, and but just loves it. He just loves hanging around and uh, not, just, not just hanging around, but making a difference, whether it's um, with his own race team or through his involvement with the Australian Racing Group or his, even his involvement in supercars as well. So... Long live Gary Rogers. Now, we uh, he takes it so seriously, of course, that he got one of Australian motorsports best to come and work within the walls of GRM, and that's Marcus Ambrose. He is the competition director and plays a big role with the drivers and the engineers to get the most out of them through their TCR Trans Am S5000 efforts. So... Uh, Marcus also has uh, a, a really cool initiative, the uh, Combine, which will run down in Tasmania later this year. I asked him about that, his own racing future, and a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, Marcus was kind enough to give, him, give us his time, and here he is on Parked Up. Hey, I've got Marcus Ambrose here on the workshop floor at Gary Rogers Motorsport. You've almost been here for a year now. How's it all going? Well, I'm not meant to be here full time. Uh, it was meant to be sort of a couple of weeks on, a couple of weeks off. My role here is director of competition, whatever that means. Uh, we had to come up with some kind of title to designate what I'm doing here. I'm just here to uh, try to move the team forward on the competition side of things, get them running better on the racetrack, get better results. And so it really is um, all hands on deck some days and some weeks there's not much for me to do here. We've added a lot of cars uh, from 2021 here. We're adding three Trans Ams to the program. 
And so I've sort of been fairly focused on the Trans Ams, to be honest, but spread across all three uh, classes that we run here, which is the S5000, the TCR program, and also the Trans Ams. There's a bit going on. There's not much extra space on this workshop floor. Uh, Gary and Barry have run teams for... Uh, They've run entries in various categories. You raced against them back back in the day. Uh, working for those two guys, what's it like? Well, I was firstly sponsored by uh, Gary uh, through the Valvoline sponsorship back in Formula Forward in 1997. So we go back a long, long way. I'd spoken to Gary about driving here a couple of times as well. Things hadn't worked out. Um, I'd been in the wilderness for a while, if you like, um, literally uh, building a wilderness lodge in Tasmania. Uh, and as I've sort of um, been away from motorsport, I, I've, I know so much. Uh, when the opportunity came to come here to sort of share what I know about racing into an existing organisation like GRM, um, I was really happy to do it. And it's actually been, for me, uh, quite empowering and very pleasurable, to be honest. It's something that I, I know what I'm talking about. Uh, and I know my place here. Look, I'm not a mechanic. Um, I can't work on ECUs and, uh, and wiring looms, but I can certainly see the basics at the racetrack about how do we go fast and what do we need to focus on. And I think the blend with the existing GRM people here, who are already fantastic people, uh, GRM's a professional team, a very professional team and a very big team. We're running, um, you know, well over 20 staff here. We're running 12 race cars throughout the season, plus all the other stuff we do. We've got car rebuilds, car restorations going on. Um, GRM have designed and built up these S5000s that we're standing next to right now. So there's a lot of um, ongoing work on those. And so I'm just happy to play my part here, which is try to um, focus the drivers, focus the engineers into what really counts and try and lift the performance and results on the track. And I think we've done that this year. Uh, we've, we've underachieved, I think, on the Renaults in TCR uh, with mechanical reliability issues there. But the Peugeots have run well. We're second in the championship with that. And we're looking pretty good on the Trans Am. So um, it's been good so far. Some people would say that GRM is a little wasted, uh, you know, with not competing in supercars and taking on these uh, three classes in the Speed Series. Uh, I don't know, do you agree with that? Would you, uh, would you like to see them try supercars again one day or uh, is, th is this just enough? Well, it hasn't been that long since GM were in supercars. I mean, this is a fairly new iteration of what GRM is. Um, there is an element of, um, you know, Gary and, and Barry Rogers, you know, have a shareholding or a part of the ARG series, and so they're running cars in in that series to to lift the quality of the teams and to also in, increase car numbers. It's working quite well. We've got a lot of up and coming drivers coming through here, and that's actually something that Gary and Barry have always done here at GRM, which is support you know, young drivers and young mechanics coming through. We're doing that with the Combine initiative for mechanics and drivers. We've got, uh, you know, drivers that are on the up here that are going to turn, turn themselves into future supercar drivers, no doubt in my mind right now. I don't know where GRM want to go in the future, um, but I'm really happy to support them in whatever capacity they think I can help if, uh, if they want me to be here. Um, but right now we're very focused on you know, running a lot of cars in ARG series and to be honest, 
the ARG series is going very well. Um, the Trans Am show looks fantastic. Um, it's a real crowd favourite. Um, TCR numbers are growing. We've got some exciting stuff coming next year for the rules and regulations on that. And really, the S5000s are just getting going. I mean, they were they came out right before COVID hit, and so they've been knocked around a bit with car numbers and and uh, drivers just don't really know them. But they are the fastest cars in the country, and uh, we've got a good uh, path for those S5000s to go on to hopefully you know build up the numbers and to refine the cars even more than what they are right now. We'll talk about the combine in a second. You get to hang out with a lot of young drivers, and I'm sure you won't want to just uh, handpick a couple of them. I'm sure you like them all as much as the other. But uh, there are a couple of really exciting talents that that you have here. Uh, can 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 you talk about a, a couple of those guys and why you think they will be supercar stars in the future? Well, we've got a lot of drivers here that are all on sort of different levels, and they're all, in my mind, we've got a fantastic driver lineup. Um, we've got, yeah, hot chargers like Nathan Hearn, who's really having a great year in Trans Am NS5000. We've got a guy like Jimmy Golding, who, you know, he's now back in the supercar series, uh, who's already a pro, uh, and a whole bunch of guys in between that. Um, Benny Barguana's on a great learning curve with TCR. He's done very well this year with some great results. Cody Garland's you know, probably our newest one here in, in the fold and he's, you know, when the car's held up to him, um, he's shown a lot of speed and we're really excited about his future too. Yeah, so there isn't a single driver here that we're not happy to have and there's not a single driver here that isn't doing well. I think, um, you know, James Moffat, pro. Jimmy Golding, pro. When we got Ben Barguana, Cody Garland, these guys on the way up. And um, yeah, some, some really talented drivers here and um, I, I try to support them all, um, whatever the level they're at. Uh, the young ones though, they really don't know much about me to be honest because I'm, I'm getting pretty long in the tooth. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's an interesting dynamic and we try to have, you know, a nice mixture of pro and up and comers. So on the Trans Am side, you know, we've got obviously Owen Kelly, and Nathan Hearn with a development guy, Lockie Dalton, coming up behind them. Uh, same in the TCR program, we've got Benny Barguana and Cody coming up behind our pro drivers. And so, you know, when we get them to a level, they, they're going to go. I mean, you know, like Jimmy Golding, now he's got his chance to go back into the supercar. And so we welcome that, that we, um, you know, we give them a place to race and a place to learn and a place to showcase what they've got. Uh, just you saying that you're old and a bit long in the tooth, that the uh, Pertec Falcon is still well in everyone's mind. We see uh, enough replays and uh, little snippets of that. Uh, okay, the Combine, something that you've, br an idea you've brought from the States, something we haven't really seen much of here in Australia. You uh, ran the inaugural uh, Combine down in Tassie at the start of this year. You're just revving up now for the second one. It'll be at Simmons and uh, Baskerville. Mm -hmm. uh, a little bit of top line detail and why did you bring this to Australia? There was a few reasons to, to bring it here at GRM. The first one is that we've got so many cars um, here at the shop, we've got to keep them going to the track. And so we've got all these used race tyres, race brakes, race engines, crew here sitting around in the off season uh, you know, it's a shame we're not we're not moving forward if we're not at the racetrack. We're a race team. We need to be at the racetrack more often. So that was the first goal was to get GRM back to the racetrack more often. The second thing is that 
there's no clear path for a junior driver or a young driver coming through Australian motorsport. There's no clear path. And we've got a saturation of classes between Porsche Cup and Formula Ford and S5000, TCR, Trans, you name it, the list goes on radicals, you know, the whole thing. And, and how do you get there? And, and how do you know where you're at? And how do you know what car suits you? And so we just thought, okay, we'll take a bunch of cars down to Tassie in the off-season where we can get access to the tracks and we can let people sample drivers, sample, you know, the fastest car in Australia, the S5000, front-wheel drive technology with the TCR and the muscle car kind of thing with Trans Am and let them evaluate themselves by driving a high-quality, you know, professionally run car through GRM and just see where they're at and how they stack up against our in-house drivers. And out of that, you know, we found Cody and we found, you know, some other people that we've got our eye on now too. And, uh, and we're looking forward to doing another one. So it's not a driver's school and it's not a talent search. It's just a place to, for a young driver who's on the path in motorsport. We don't want anyone that's brand new. We don't want anyone that's a pro. We want someone that's on the way, on the journey, um, and I'll give them an opportunity to see, you know, what cars suit them and where do they want to really focus their careers and, and where they're at. Because it's really hard to know where you're at. You, you know, I feel sorry for these junior drivers coming through because you've got to find the money and a budget to run a class and you almost like pin the tail on the donkey, like, which one do I choose? And until I actually sign up for it, I don't know if it suits me. And so I'm seeing... You know, I think there's a demand out there for, you know, days like that. It's a, it's a five-day thing, four- or five-day thing, and we sort of take all the pressure off. We take the lap timers out of the cars, and we just let them really sort of evaluate themselves, and then we pick it up as the week goes on. So we get more and more serious as the week goes on, and I think the formula worked really well on the first one, and we're looking forward to doing another. Uh, I think you had six or seven for the first one. What what do numbers look like for uh, the 2023 version? Yeah, so we, we, we put it out there um, that we want to do another one and we've had a, a really good response with that. We haven't really selected our drivers yet. This is not about, you know, sign me up, here's my money. We, we choose. We actually choose which ones that we, we think we want out of the pool. So you apply first and then we work it out. There is a cost involved. Unfortunately, racing is expensive and we can't run these cars for nothing. But um, we had six last year because we wanted to really give them a lot of time in the cars without the, the pressure. We didn't want to pressure ourselves, to be honest, to, to over-promise and under-deliver. Uh, we're probably going to bump it up to maybe eight uh, for, for this next one because demands up and people are still applying and we're, we're looking at everybody still we haven't made a decision we won't make a decision for a little while but uh, yeah we'd like to run probably eight for the next one great um okay little plug for your instagram account marcus ambrose motorsport it lives on and there's a new ambrose coming through the ranks too tell us about your daughter who has gone through karting and she's uh, race. Two, two doors doing it. Yeah. Jeez, did you, you didn't buy a tennis racket for these girls? <laughs> I probably should have done. Uh, yeah, so Marcus Ambrose Motorsport does live on. Um, it's not run by me anymore. It's run by my kids. So if it looks a little different, that's why. Uh, and they're just using, um, you know, just a way to stay connected with 
friends and family and, and, and followers, even from the US, Instagram and Facebook, we still sort of populate that a little bit. Two girls, 14 and 16, Tabitha and Adelaide, uh, are racing go-karts. Uh, Tabitha's actually now got an XL just to practice in down in Tasmania and we're just doing it as a family thing, to be honest. Um, you know, racing's been great for me. I learned a lot as, as a kid coming through the ranks about how to behave, about winning and losing, about effort, you know, normally equates to a reward at the end if you apply yourself well. And so uh, the kids seem to really enjoy their go-karting and their, their, uh, their racing right now. We'll just let them go with it and see where it goes. Uh, but it's up to them really, they've got to really want, want it. Um, I'm happy to help them if I can, um, but they've got to make their own path and it's just a healthy family sport, the go-karts, and, uh, and now we're sort of expanding the operation, I guess, if you like, and um, I've picked up a cheap Hyundai XL for, uh, for Tabitha and we're running that in Tassie and having some fun with that too. Uh, when I look around here on the workshop floor, it can seem like, you know, big business and stress and competition, but you can forget how, uh, how family-oriented this sport is. Look, you're working for a family team uh, here. It's, uh, we probably don't give the sport enough credit for uh, the family values that it, and, and what it can bring for the family unit. You're exactly right, and I think Australia is missing that. I think uh, my experience that I'm talking about and the references that I'm talking about is what it was like in the, in the 90s and what it's like in America right now. I mean, grassroots motorsport in America has never been bigger. Short track, speedway, dirt, oval, road racing, you name it. Uh, racing's affordable uh, and it's family orientated. Uh, and families, you know, in NASCAR at the top level, it was all about family, to be honest. I mean, they wanted the families to come to the track, they wanted the families involved, uh, and NASCAR was one big giant family. So, and, and I think we need to get back to that in Australian motorsport. We've got to support grassroots, we've got to make it affordable and easy to get into and easy to do. Because racing right now is not easy to do. There's lots of rules and regulations, the costs are high. So if there's anything to fight for right now, you're right. You've got to keep it a family sport and you've got to make it affordable at the grassroots level. I'm talking go-karts, I'm talking oval, short track, dirt stuff, I'm talking grass track stuff, you name it. State Series, Formula Ford, we've got to stay very focused on having the next generation come through because if we're not careful, um, motorsport will become too elitist. Excellent points. Um, okay, would be remiss of me not to ask when are we going to see you pull a helmet back on and get back out there? <laughs> I have snuck my helmet on a couple of times this year. Um, for a few different things, but I don't have any uh, any plans to put my race helmet back on for a race weekend. If I do, I might race under an alias. <laughs> you might have to find me somewhere else. But uh, I, I've jumped in uh, in a few race cars to give Tabitha a hand, and that, that actually has been a bit of fun too. So maybe, um, you know, maybe I'll, I'll, I have got a licence, uh, a national licence, <laughs> and maybe I'll renew that just to, um, just to be able to test a few cars. I do need to drive one of these TCR cars because I haven't really driven a front wheel drive in anger here at GRM and so if I get the opportunity uh, maybe at the end of the combine or something like that I might jump in one of these TCR cars and have a go just so I can actually be a little bit more relevant when I'm talking to um, our TCR drivers when they get to the, the hustle and bustle of a race weekend because the cars are different. TCR cars are different to set up 
and they are, um, you've got to drive them a bit differently to a real drive car. Marcus, thank you so much for your time on the Parked Up podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you, Marcus, for that. Such a uh, such a lovely guy. Have you ever had anything to do with Marcus Ambrose today? I've had nothing to do with Marcus Ambrose as of yet, but all I remember is my brother growing up. Every time you walked into his bedroom, there was a 2003 Marcus Ambrose poster, signed poster on his wall and... Yeah, that's all I remember. There was a signed poster that I think is now in my bedroom wall that just kind of, you know, passed passed through the ranks. And then he's got a signed, um, like framed, like one of those limited edition signed things. But yeah, dad and my brother were very big Mike Sambo's fans. Cool. Yep. He was uh, an absolute, uh, absolute legend. And uh, after he became a supercars uh, legend, winning two championships in a row. He uh, just left us all and went and played uh, NASCAR racing, which he was also pretty handy at. Great to have him back in this part of the world working with GRM. Now, two more GRM chats that I did. Uh, I caught up with Aaron Cameron, who drives their Peugeot TCR car. Of course, it's supported by Valvoline. And uh, Aaron has uh, eyes on a big future. He's one of the uh, best young stars that we have in Australian motorsport. And I caught up with him on the GRM workshop floor. So I've got Aaron Cameron here down at GRM, mate. It's a busy workshop. How often do you spend time here working with the crew, working with the guys away from the racetrack? I try as often as I can around my own work. I do concreting during the week. So yeah, as much as I can, usually probably twice before between each meeting um, and yeah if I can come in more it's good it's always nice to see the crew and see what's what they're working on and and yeah that the rundown from events what what happened and then obviously the pre pre event pre event sand down now to, to figure out what what things we're going to try and what what direction we're going to go you were here in the fab shop for a while doing a few days a week that uh, is there more money in concreting there's a bit more money in concreting than working in the old GRM fab shop. Um, it was a lot of fun, uh, but then when, when when all the COVID stuff started, that yeah, I just found somehow I ended up in concreting. I don't know how, um, and I've currently stayed there ever since. Uh, tell me about the culture that's here at GRM. You've come in at the basically the start of your career. Um, is it arms wide open, cuddles and hugs, or is there a bit of tough love? What's your take on that? Uh, a bit of both, really. Uh, I think it's a really good team environment where we all get along really good um, between the Renault and the Peugeot guys and, and even all the Trans Am and S. Like, everything really sort of gels, and we all worked well together. Um, obviously a bit awkward when me and Cody were crashing into each other at Queensland Raceway, um, and I've certainly got some tough love since then to to get us back on track so because we, we shouldn't be running into each other obviously and and we don't usually but yeah i think most of the time it's really good and we all work together really well now we've spoken to marcus in this episode as well a wealth of experience here in australia all around the world what has he brought to the table that you can see from the outside inside uh the pushing for for things that we want, things that the engineers and drivers want. He's just come in and, and, and pushing hard to, to make it all happen for us and and most of the time it, it does happen and we get to try what we want and 
yes, sometimes it doesn't work, but he understands that, that motorsport's a game of sort of learning and, and trying things during testing, which, yeah, we're doing a really good job of, of making the Peugeots a lot faster. And, yeah, you see our form at Bathurst, like the cars are so fast there, and it's just that's because of what Marcus and, and the engineers like Lucas and all of them are really doing and pushing quite hard to be as fast as we can. Now, speaking of Bathurst, it's the last round of TCR Australia. We've got Sandown to come in September. You're still in a title hunt. I know Tony D would like to think he's got one hand, one paw on that trophy, but it can, it can shift and change so quickly. The points are really, really close. Is it uh, win it or bin it? What's your uh, take and feel on being number one at the end of this year? Uh, I think at the moment we're probably too far back. We're P8 in the championship. Yes, the points are really close to get to. We could get to second or third. Tony's probably a bit far away. Uh, Bathurst will be really strong because the Persians are good there. But Sandown, I don't see as being a really strong circuit for us. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that we're, we're going to be up there and wrong, and we'll be fighting for wins. But I just, yeah, we don't have a lot of, lot of characteristics that Sandown's likes. So. Yeah, I, I think if we can end up the year in at least the top five in the championship, I'll still be pretty happy because we've had two DNFs and DNFs just kill championships where Tony just, he just keeps finishing races. And now he's winning races as well. So, yeah. Uh, okay, uh, your future. So you've done TCR for the last couple of years. You've done S5000. You've won trophies in S5000, trophies in races. What do you see 2023 being like? Is... Is there a change? Are you going to stay with GRM and do the programs that they've got here? Is there something else for you? Uh, I think I think a change is probably coming. I've spent the last three years here at GRM. Three years, yeah, a few years now. Um, I, I want to keep doing the S5000 because I think that's a they're a great category and they're, and they're a lot of fun to drive. Very fast and not much group. So I, I like, would like to be part of that for the future. Um, TCR, I, I don't know exactly what the future holds there, but yeah, hopefully maybe moving over into the into the supercars ranks, but it's still all a lot to play out before I can say anything there. Cool. Okay. So, but Super Two or Super Three, uh, Super Two, I guess, is probably where you you'd like to like to go. That's that's the best outcome for you. Yeah, Super Two is is the goal um, and the outcome that we want, but you just never know. In racing, there's a lot of factors, budget, budgetary factors that are involved, and we're just trying to make that all work with with everyone for the future. And and ultimately, it's got to all line up that maybe doing Super Two, and then from Super Two, you want to get to Supercars. So you want to have a bit of a pathway laid out. And thank you, Aaron Cameron, for your time there. Tanea, he wants to do Super Two next year. How do you reckon he'd go? Oh, there's no doubt that the guy can steer. Like he's he's been able to be at the front in everything that he's ever driven. I think the TCR presents a bit more of a challenge with him with the you know changing BOP every round and it keeps all of the drivers on their toes. So it would be very interesting to see how he performs in a you know the Super Two field where every single driver is at the top of the game and it's just yeah it's just it's obviously it's the undercard of supercars for a reason. So to take the step from TCR across to Super 2, 
it'll be really interesting to see how he goes. I think he'll be at the pointy end. Mm, yeah, obviously heavily relies on what team you partner up with, but uh, if there's anyone I reckon who can extract uh, just that little bit extra, it's going to be Aaron Cameron. Now, the last guest that I spoke to on the GRM workshop floor, it's someone who uh, probably goes a lot under the radar, doesn't cop as much uh, television or press time, but she's the one who makes a lot of the things happen for GRM. Her name is Sally Parkinson. She's been with GRM for quite some time now today, and I think she was actually responsible for giving you your first supercars gig. Is that right? Yeah, so Sally kind of hunted me down a little bit. I was uh, went through a year and a bit of volunteering for Supercars Media and then found myself working at the Ozex Open, which was the Supercross that happened in Sydney a few years back. And Sally was uh, one of their event coordinators. And she said to the boys, she goes, you guys have any plans with Tanea? Like, are you going to do anything? And they're like, oh, we don't really have capacity. And then she's like, sweet, <laughs> can I take her? Because like, I was there, obviously showed that I was committed and, you know, really keen to make a go of this. And then... Um, and this is in the video space, oh, yes? Yeah. yeah, as a videographer. I was really keen to make it, you know, have a go as, as a videographer. And then Sally was like, yeah, cool. Come and work for us. And it was just as like the video sphere of socials was taking off. Obviously, we're now, you know, everything's video content. But a couple of years back, to see a video, it was, yeah, it was more like press releases and written quotes and things. And then we sort of pivoted around that 2018 2019 era which was ironically that my two years with GRM then when they left supercars at the end of 2019 I went off to do my own thing but it was an incredible stepping stone and yeah I'm always going to be super grateful to the whole GRM crew and especially Sally and Barry you know I was I had no experience I'd never been inside a supercars garage before with a camera so to be given that opportunity was something that yeah I'm, I'm forever grateful for so yeah Cool. Okay. Well, here she is, Sally Parkinson, and she'll tell you a little bit more about her role at the great GRM squad. One person you don't hear much about at GRM, but is an integral part of GRM. Her name is Sally Parkinson. Uh, I actually thought you were uh, one of the Rogers family. You were hanging around and, uh, and bossing people around so much. Sally, you've been here for a while. Tell us about your role at GRM. Um, well, I've been here since the end of 2009, um, so basically just do all of, mm, pretty much anything that doesn't make the cars go fast. <laughs> so that's at racetracks, looking after anywhere from 30 to 50 people, making sure everyone's getting there, flights, accommodation, um, fit, or everyone getting fed, um, and then also obviously also overseeing obviously our social media and just general media across the weekend. Awesome, very busy, and uh, you've seen so many different iterations of GRM over the years. You know, you've had Fujitsu Commodores, we've seen Volvos come through, we've now got no supercars and a whole bunch of these other things. Uh, give me a, a, a couple of little favourite moments that, that, you've, that you've seen, or one moment that sort of sticks out as something that was pretty cool. Um, I guess probably you can't go past a Volvo second place on debut at Clipsal 500. That was pretty iconic for Jerem and the experience and obviously what everyone had gone through with Volvo to get it on track and then to have that happen first weekend out was pretty special. 
You've seen some special drivers during the time as well. The Lee Holdsworths and Michael Caruso's. We've had Scott McLaughlin, obviously. Uh, some foreigners. Uh, Garth Tander came back for his last stint in, in as a full-time supercars driver. Now a bunch of young crew. Who's the easiest to work with? Who's the hardest to work with? Um, that's like asking who your favourite child is. That's a really tough one. So, nah, they're all good. I mean, obviously, you have your sort of ones that you've obviously worked with a long time, obviously, like James Golding. So, it's great to see him back in supercars. Now, obviously, worked with him here when he was an apprentice, just, you know, working on the floor and seeing him to come up to Super 2. Then, obviously, going to supercars, you know, doing well in S5000s and now back there as well. So, um, but, you know, they're all, they're all special in their own right. Uh, now, working with Gary and Barry, I can imagine there's uh, there's highs and there's lows and there's absolutely everything in between. What do they like to, to work for? And, you know, everyone talks about how well they look after their crew. Is that actually true? Um, no, look, they're great for it. I mean, what you see on TV and what you see is, is how they are. So they are, you know, Barry's a million miles a minute and you sort of got to try and keep up with him. Um, and Gary's obviously slowing down now, but he's still, when he wants to be involved, part of the team. So, no, they, they are good. Obviously, most of our staff have been here long term and people wouldn't be here that long if they weren't good to work for. So, but what you see is what you get with them, pretty much. And we thank Sally for her time on Parked Up, and uh, that was uh, that was kind of cool to go through and uh, see all the guys. I do get to spend a little bit of time with uh, GRM and their squads through the TCR and S five thousand stuff. That's uh, kind of part of my world. So, uh, but good to chuck the microphone in and ask a couple of the questions that I typically wouldn't ask on the record. So, uh, thank you full to GRM. Uh, for that opportunity. Now, uh, Mark Fogarty also just stole some time off some other guys in the world of racing, uh, and he spoke to Paul Morris and Tony Quinn. Now, Tanea, I'll leave it up to you. Which one would you like to hear first? Do you want to hear the dude, or do you want to hear from TQ? Well, because I've already listened to the Parked Up Plus episode, I do know the, you know, the top-line contents of both of these interviews, and I reckon roll Paul Morris where he tears up Gen 3. Okay, that is it. Uh, you can hear the full interview with Paul Morris and Mark Fogarty, the legendary Mark Fogarty, right here, right now. Paul Morris, Gen 3 has been subject to delays, design problems, cost overruns, you name it. They're still aiming for the start of next season. Is it going to be worth the wait? Oh, I don't think there's any alternative at, th at this stage. So uh, as, you, as you, you mentioned, all the problems that, that it's had, but I think it's just left up to the teams to get them built. And I'm, I, I, I think it'll be well into the start of next year before you see some of those cars hit the track. So the proof will be in the pudding, Mark. If, if, the, if the racing's good and puts on a good show, Maybe all those dramas will be forgotten, but uh, I wouldn't like to be a team owner at the moment. No, indeed. As you say, once they're on the track, a lot of the problems will uh, be forgotten. But as you said, it's up to the teams. And it seems that at this stage, an unfair burden is being put on them to get this thing done. Uh, I think that's pretty pretty fair assumption. or well, that, That's how I look at it as well. You know, they've, they've got to race cars at the moment. They've still got championships to, to compete in. And for me, when you look at that, you know, are, are the 
people or the personnel on those teams going to be committed to not having a Christmas. So it's a different world we live in now and people don't like to work as hard as they used to. So that'll be the interesting one. Who's, who's going to roll up their sleeves and get it done? Gen 3 was predicated on being much cheaper to build, much cheaper to run. We now know these cars are not going to be cheaper to run. In fact, there's every indication they'll be as expensive, if not more expensive. It's a fail on that level, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. It hasn't hit that mark. So if you look at that car, and they haven't really changed anything in that car except gone to a control engine, which... You know, we'll save we'll save some money in that regard, but the rest of the car hasn't really changed. Haven't really taken anything out of it or standardises anything that's going to save any money. The only thing that you might save some money on is you know development of of new parts where they've locked that locked that down, which would be an uprights or anti roll bar rockers, the sort of two freedoms that are left in the cars now, which the teams continue to exploit. So yes, yeah, and maybe some development costs, but um, as far as building a race car that is going to be cheaper capital costs and cheaper to, cheaper to run, you're 100% right. It, it's, a, it's a fail on that count for sure. Well, everything I keep hearing from the people that know, but of course who won't speak on the record, is that, you know, the new engines supposedly going to be 60000 or thereabouts, no. 80 or more thousand dollars and the and the rest of the car anyway all adding up to a bill of with spares and things you know to hit the track is a million dollars or more Uh, now there may be savings longer term in terms of in terms of running costs but paul morris you've run teams you've had to pay the bills how did they get this so wrong um well, it's just must must. But they haven't taken anything out of it to save any money. So, and it's taken too long. Uh, obviously, when you look at how cars were built before, they were always an evolution of something. Okay, so if you go back to right to the right to the history of when we started building back supercars, the cars always just evolved. So this is the top, first time we've had a clean sheet of paper. Um, but the, the costings are just wrong. They've designed something and then haven't really worried about how much it's going to cost. So it's a bit like when you let your wife build your house, maybe, you know, come in and get everything they want in the house and then you go, it costs twice as much as I thought it was going to cost you. So that's to me where it looks like it's gone wrong. But, you know, they've just designed a car and haven't, they haven't really put a cost on what, what it's going to be. Well, it sounds like there's nothing in there in Gen 3 would, that, that would attract you back to owning and running a team in supercars. No, I wouldn't. I think there's a good point there. If you look at the landscape of supercar team owners now, they're all high net worth people, right? Apart from probably Brad. You, know, you look, look who owns race teams now. So do they really care? And to me, it looks like they don't. They're, they're happy to have million dollar race cars and pay the bills and you've got you know, high net worth people that don't really care about, about the cost of it. I, that's what it looks like to me from the outside. Okay, let's look at race, R-A-C-E. 
the new owners of supercars. That entity is about, let's say, 10 months into running supercars. Does it look any different to you? No, certainly from the outside. If you go to the meeting or watch it on TV, you, you wouldn't know that someone else had bought that championship. So, um, yeah, not, nothing's, nothing's really changed. So, yeah, you, you, don't, you don't know any different. Um, but, you know, they've got to get their feet under the desk. They've got to work out what, who's who in the zoo. Um, but I'd like to see what their plan is. And, and I'm interested in the sport and I'd like to see what they plan to do, but I haven't seen anything like that. But maybe that's just because they're in a crisis with the new car and getting, getting all things tidied up. Well, you are a senior figure in the rival consortium that was also bidding for supercars, the unsuccessful consortium. Had your bid gone through, would be would we be where we're at at the moment? Uh, I think possibly you could be because it's you know, it's a big animal supercar. It's got a lot of lot of people in it. Um, you know, there were there was definitely some hard work to do and some some heavy lifting to do. But I think the difference sort of with our consortium in there was enough of us in there that we could go and operate the thing if we had to. Uh, if you had to roll up and get your hands dirty and get in there, there were, we had enough people in our consortium that knew enough about their their patch of dirt they could look, look after and, and get, get things tidied up. So that's that's the thing that looks a little bit different to what we would have done to what um, to what the new owners are doing. But you don't really know. You don't you don't from a, from an outside looking in, you can't really see what's happening there. I'm sure they're trying pretty hard to tidy things up. But you know the internal fighting with with partners and things like that, and looking at what Gary Rogers did by dropping that letter in in public, it's you know that they've got their own problems besides Gen Three. Well, indeed, you mentioned that the clear rift between the ARG, officially or unofficially, the ARG component of the uh, race shareholding, that very public rift. What does that say about this new organisation? Uh, well, it's only come from 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 Gary's side, not from them. So they haven't really said too much. So I don't think you can draw a conclusion there. Obviously, that that partnership didn't work. In my opinion, it looks like Gary was pissed off enough about it to you know lob one in when he's going out the door. So that's what it looks like. But again, you don't hear from them. You don't you don't know what's happening. So. They're obviously trying to tidy tidy things up in-house and, and move on. But a classic case of one side airing their dirty laundry in public. Yeah, no, it is it is a classic case of that. And it's something I, I really haven't seen before because it's got the ability to devalue the business or devalue the teams. You know, it can, hurt, can cause a lot of hurt down pit lane. Um, so that I was really surprised that that did, did happen. I, didn't didn't think that was something that that you'd, you'd see, but it obviously it did. Paul, you're generally regarded as a respected figure in the sport, but some people might say, "Well, that's Paul Morris, you know, taking pot shots from the sidelines. He doesn't really have any skin in the game. Why should we take any notice of what he says?" Well, they don't have to, mate. So they they, they can or they can't, but. Um, Look, I've, I've got an opinion on things and I, I like to share it around, but it's, I'm not always right. Not, 
but it, it's good to discuss these things and get it out there. You just can't close shop. You know, media and people commenting on things is what keeps people honest, and it happens in any other industry or, or any other sport or in politics. So, you know, we've got to talk about these things because that's how you that's how you put things right. Okay. Your other great passion, junior driver development or just driver development. Yep. Is well it's specifically is supercars doing enough to bring new stars uh, to the fore? No, nah, they're doing a very bad job of it. And um it, it's a bit disappointing. The the effort and the the what they put into Super Two is just nowhere where where it has been in the past and nowhere where it should be. Um it's it's super disappointing. Um, you know, you can look at someone like uh, what Neil Crompton's done with the Toyota 86 series and how they run that and how they get people involved. And it's, you know, all the stars that are made it through have come through that. You know, you, I think you really need to have a little, real good look at what they've done and then try and copy that model into Super 2. And otherwise, the, the good guys aren't going to get through. You know, the, the cost of doing Super 2 now is, is getting pretty prohibitive. Um, so, yeah, there's some, some work to do there and it, it should be on their list to fix up. And if they can't fix it up, they should give it to someone else to, to do as a, as a project that needs to be done. And the change next year for Super 2 restricted the Super 2 division to the current Mustang and ZB Commodore. Yeah, well, that, that system's completely broken. What's broken it is the collector car market. So, you know, the teams used to used to sell off their cars and equipment and you know, 50 cents on the dollar, what, what the cars would be worth. They'd, they'd run their course. They didn't need them anymore. They'd moved on to a better, better mousetrap. They had cars and spares lying around and they'd whip them out the door, you know, half price of what they'd normally be. But what's happened now is that collector car markets come to being and it's just held the prices of a secondhand race car very high. So um, that's, that's sort of what's happened. And the relevance of running a ZB and a Mustang next year when the current car could be, a, could be a lot different to drive. So you're going from a high aero car to supposedly a low aero car. Uh, the relevance of that car and what it, what it means uh, to the driving technique and driving style is something that's still got to be worked out. But um, I think Super 2 will all, it's, you know, if the best guys are in there and the cars are a little bit different, um, the competition will still make sure that the good drivers come through, but the cost of competing in that would, would just be horrendous. I'd hate to be a kid who's, you know, got everything on the line and then going to drive the car. And the last thing in your mind is how am I going to afford to, you know, the, you go on racing and you're worried about how you're going to afford to fix it if you crash it. You just can't have that sort of stuff going on. Well, as you're suggesting quite clearly, the cost is becoming ever more prohibitive. Yeah, you can't have like this to be in a top team there now. It's it's a hundred thousand dollars a race to do fourteen laps behind the safety car twice. It's just just ridiculous, and it, it needs to be looked at. It really does need to be looked at because you're not going to get the best drivers through. You'll get you know the drivers with the biggest wallets that can drive get through, and that's to me that's just becoming elitist, and it's not not what the sport's about. Well, Paul Morris, it uh, sadly sounds like. There's a lot of work to be done at many levels by, well, maybe all of us in motorsport. Yeah, well, we all, yeah, we all got to contribute, and 
talk about these things and get it out and find ways to fix it. But if you, if you sweep it under carpet and pretend there's no problem, well, nothing will get done. So jointly, all this stuff can be solved. Um, but you can't can't be scared of being criticised for doing something that you're not doing right. And that's, you know, you can't be on the propaganda train. You, you, you know, if you're doing something wrong, it needs to be talked about. And there's plenty going on there in the junior categories for sure. And we thank folks for that chat with the dude, ever controversial, always not afraid to make the big statement. And here's another guy who's not afraid of making a statement, but usually when Tony Quinn makes a statement, it's encased inside some sort of joke. Uh, An absolute legend, and we're uh, all so very thankful that uh, he is on the mend from that giant shunt that he had in his career, a cup car, at Townsville. Now, today I was sitting next to you in the Townsville Media Centre when that accident happened and almost everyone in the Media Centre just froze just for a moment. It was a big hit. He went in pretty hard and I guess the extent of his injury shows how hard he went into the into that concrete barrier. It's not, you know, racing on a street circuit isn't isn't for boys, you know, it's a, it's a big, it's a Big boys. It's for big boys, not for little boys, for big boys. <laughs> um, but no, that was just really unfortunate. And yeah, the amount of things that he broke, like, yeah. wow. He's lucky to be doing as well as he is now. Yeah. Well, we're all very thankful that he is on the mend and so well on the mend that he uh, was was great enough to give some time to uh, Mark Fogarty. So here's the full chat. You might have heard some of it on Parked Up Plus. It's on Monday at 5pm today. You know that? I've listened once. Ah, don't say that. You've listened plenty of times. All right. Uh, Mum's a big fan. Thank you. Mandy McLeod loves Parked Up Plus. That's fantastic. Well, she, she likes folks. She's a big Fogarty fan. Ah, very good. <laughs> very good. Okay, cool. I'm not going to use the we should hook them up. Uh, we will not say that at all. He. from the podcast. Here is Mark Fogarty and Tony Quinn on Parked Up. Tony Quinn, welcome to Parked Up. And it's great to be talking to you again. So Yeah, it's it's um it's all good. I'm sitting here in front of me my um house overlooking the river with jet ski skis going past, recuperating. Well, how are you and how is your recovery going? Um, it's, uh, I, I beat myself up pretty badly um, in the crash in Townsville. And um, <clears throat> there was a surprising amount of damage done to myself. And obviously the car got written off, needs to be reshelled. But um, in summary, I think I've got eight broken ribs. Three of them are broken in three places four fractured vertebrae, a fractured pelvis, a left leg that's broken at the ankle, the ankle's buggered, and my right foot um, was broken too. So I've been in bed mainly. I was in ICU for three nights or four nights and then in the trauma uh, ward for a couple of weeks and then I've been at home for the rest. And I'm only just coming good now um it's been a rough journey i wouldn't wish it on anybody but the ribs are healing which makes it easier to 
to get about. Well, uh, make it certainly sounds like you've got a long road back to recovery. Yeah, I mean, the, the best doctors are saying, um, you know, don't expect to sit in a car, you know, in any to go around a circuit this year. That's out. Um, maybe early next year we can sit back in a car and, and have a fang, but um, certainly my racing career has been abolished. Well, I was going to say, you know, after such a serious shunt, really, would you want to go back to racing? Um, no, not right now. No, I don't. Um, and I say to people that I've hung up one boot, um, never say never, uh, but I'm going to New Zealand over the summer with my grandson. He's going to do the Toyota Racing Series, and I would like to do something there, but I can tell you straight, I won't do it if it doesn't feel right. Um, there's no way that I want to have another crash, um, so I might just be tail end Charlie going around the back of the field just taking in the view. Well, you'll be a brave man if you do that, I reckon. But it's great to hear that you're getting back there and that you, you want to get back into it in some way. Um, now, I would imagine that you've got a team of people looking after your tracks and your other businesses. You know, life goes on, but presumably you're still keeping an eye on it all. Um, I have I have more than a team of people. I have a fantastic team of people that um that have been looking after all the the New Zealand interests. Um to be fair, New Zealand's kind of looked after itself because of COVID. Um, you know, we still have our weekly Zoom catch up and stuff like that. But since the start of COVID, New Zealand's had to swim by itself. And they've done a great job, so they're fine. Um, although there is some turmoil <laughs> ahead, I think. Uh, not for us, but for the sport in general in New Zealand. Um, and then, of course, the Australian businesses are um, run by the Australian team, which is, um, you know, um, you, can't, you can't do what I do without good people around you. Um, and that's one of the key secrets to life success in life is to surround yourself with good people. And I didn't, I didn't come up with that saying. It's, it's a well-quoted saying, but it's so true. Indeed. So let's have a look at what's going on in a couple of specific areas. QR's looking better than ever after your takeover and revamp. Big question, Tony. Does it look like you're going to get a round of the Supercars Championship back next year? Um, look, the, the, as you know, the supercars are, <clears throat> they have their own challenges internally. And I haven't spoken to anybody from there uh, about next year. I do know that Queensland Raceway was always a, a favourite of supercars because they actually could, it's a bit like Bathurst and Pukekohe. They can actually make money there, so they quite like it. But it's all entangled with government support and stuff like that that they they require and demand if you like um i don't know where that sits with them um but we're certainly there ready for them to come back if they choose to 
I think they've got a lot of options for next year. And, you know, they talk about the Singapore Grand Prix and stuff like that. So who knows? Um, who knows? But I certainly haven't fielded any calls uh, from from any of the guys. So, But they're most welcome to come back. Well, indeed. You want them yeah. back. Um, sorry, I'll just pick you up on that. You mentioned the Singapore Grand Prix. So as you understand it, there are still moves to try and get supercars on the support program up there. Oh, uh, look, I'm I'm a minnow. I don't really know what's going on, but I'm just picking up on what the you know the PR, you know the the hype or whatever that you know they would like to do it or they think they should do it or whatever. Um, but I think they've got a you know we've got Newcastle coming back on board. We've got Clipsal. Uh, well, I call it Clipsal. What's it called? The Valo, Velo thing. Um, in Adelaide, so I think they've got a lot of opportunity or options for next year, and um, you know, QR might just be one of them. I'm not, I'm not quite sure, but we'd certainly, we'd certainly love to host them, and I think it would be, I think it would be a great thing for, for everybody, for supercars, for for us, for Ipswich. You know, I think it would be a great thing because I didn't realise that Ipswich was such a a mecca for horsepower. It's actually, it goes way back, you know, like decades, where uh, the V8 thing in Ipswich is a big thing. So, um, you know, and I, I know that they would get plenty of fans to come out and see them. So we'll see what well, happens. All right. Well, we'll watch with interest. Now, of course, the other puzzler for supercars is also in your neck of the woods, New Zealand. Next year, well, Pukekohe, coming up as the last event there, yeah. your track, Hampton Downs, has got to be the logical choice. What's going on there? Yeah, I think you're right, mate. I think it is a logical choice. They, um, they have made noises about uh, Taupo as well. Taupo was a track that was built for international events. But I, I think, again, politics will intervene and demand that it's in the Auckland or close to Auckland region. Um, which obviously makes Hampton Downs the obvious choice. And we, we shouldn't forget that Hampton Downs was uh, going to happen in uh, whenever it was, 2020 or 21, uh, when the Anzac Day parade thing interfered with Pukekohe. So uh, they'd done a lot of work at Hampton Downs um, to make sure that it could happen. And I think it would be a good thing for for the event in New Zealand, because Hampton Downs is a is a much more modern track than Pukekohe, and I appreciate that Pukekohe has got the history and everything else, but um, a lot of people thought that Pukekohe was too bumpy and not quite good enough. Tony, are the facilities at Hampton Downs and also access from the freeway is it all up to a big crowd there? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, if you're talking about a big crowd from the from the sixties and seventies, probably not. But I think if you're talking about a big crowd from the twenty twenties, I think it is, mate. I think um, you know, we've seen a a slow uh, dilution of of spectators across a lot of sports, but particularly motorsport. And um, you know, yeah, they've they've done all that. We've that's all. Um, sorted through the the road transport authority and stuff like that 
And, um, you know, there would be nothing better than a big 25-kilometre traffic jam either side of Hampton Downs. That would be a good sign, so long as you weren't in it. Yeah, exactly, as long as you're not in that traffic jam. Hey, um, the long-discussed, you know, second race in New Zealand, everyone seems to, over here, seems to agree that there's room in the market over there. And, you know, you've got two potential tracks in Taupo, as you mentioned, and also Highlands Park, in addition to Hampton Downs. You'd think a race in New Zealand, uh, in the South Island, would be a goer. Could Highlands Park handle that? Um, yeah, again, it gets back to how many spectators do you think you're going to have? I, I, for a while, have promoted um, Highlands as a unique special event that would be, dare I say it, corporate only or ticket only or, you know, it would be an expensive round for everybody, for us to host and for people to get to and stuff. Um, I think it's I think it's a nice to have, a nice to talk about. Um, certainly Taupo and Hampton Downs could be a double header. That would be quite easy to do. But whether it would have the <clears throat> the effect that people want it's it's something that we'll talk about for a long time i think um, aren't they a bit too close together so well, they to are, run they're, back they're, to back yeah they're two hours apart but they you know like topo does appeal to the southern uh, part of the north island um so i mean and topo wouldn't be able to have as many spectators as hampton downs i don't think but you know topo did a run a very good race with the A1 Grand Prix guys. They really enjoyed that there. But anyway, well, I think, we, I think to be honest, mate, we should just focus on next year, Hampton Downs, see how that goes. That would be the best thing to do. Sure. It is interesting, though, you mentioned this idea of Highlands Park, ultimately, eventually, being, well, it's funny you should mention it because it's what I've always described as, you know, a boutique supercars event that yes as you explained basically restricted to you know corporates because well there are many practical difficulties down there of getting a lot of people in aren't there yes yes and it would have to be some kind of special thing and that that will take you know a lot of discussion and a lot of willpower from you know the supercars board if you like to make it happen you know i'm, I'm sure we could make it happen very easily but you know it's it depends on how they want to run their business and you know i think i think everybody after covid is trying to see what they end up with you know it's it's um i think the chickens are coming home to roost now where you know the likes of Qantas are are opening up and saying no oh, well, we only lost two billion or whatever it is you know i think i think we're not over the the fallout from COVID and the reorganization of different businesses to suit the emerging, you know, what we're left with, what we're going to have to deal with going forward. Yes, I fear that you are right, that uh, mm. all that was forecast has happened maybe a lot later than we anticipated, yeah. but it's creating pressure everywhere. Well, Tony Quinn, great to hear all that, but especially... Great to hear from you, and the fans will be very encouraged to hear that you're, well, you're on the road to recovery and 
we, of course, wish you well in that. I'll be back. <laughs> Good on you, thank Tony. You. Thank you, mate. Thank you. Thank you, folks, and thank you, TQ, a, uh, a great chat and uh, really cool that, that TQ is – even he might not be racing at the top level that we might have seen him in his in the amateur leagues. However, uh, he's still got his finger uh, well and truly in the game with his circuits. He's got a uh, piece of the triple eight pie. Uh, he's uh, of course sells sells a uh, sells a ton of um, beef jerky as well, and I love beef jerky. Now, of course, we have the continuation of our our neat little chats that I did with Rodney Jane. Of course, he's the CEO of Bob Jane Team Arts and an awesome supporter of Parked Up and Parked Up Plus. In this week's episode, you might have heard a little snippet on Parked Up Plus, but we spoke to Rodney about the dedication that Bob Jane Team Arts has shown for experienced and young drivers racing their way through to the top of their disciplines in motorsport. Of course, Bob Jane Team Art supports the Sonic Motor Racing team in their Porsche efforts at the moment, but they have supported so many people across so many different types of categories. Think from the top level, Peter Brock, Larry Perkins, Jim Richards, Alan Grice, they have all enjoyed the support of Bob Jane Team Arts over the years, plus uh, Young Guns, Young Stars, David Reynolds, Nick Foster, Jordan Love, the list goes on, Andre Heimgartner, the list goes on of the people that they have supported, particularly through the Porsche ranks in uh, in the last 20 years. So here's Rodney Jane on Parked Up. Bob Jane Team Arts has been a long-time supporter of Australian motorsport. The family's owned racetracks, uh, supporting drivers, established and rising stars. Uh, it was something that your father did and you've picked up that mantle too. Do you think the motivations that you guys have, have aligned, you know, the reasons for supporting guys to, to go motor racing and further their careers? Yeah, it's an interesting question. For me, it's just been an organic sort of outcome. Um, yeah, you know, and perhaps it's influenced by what Bob did. But, you know, I think if you look back at what Bob did, you know, he was a pioneer in so many areas, you know, motorsport, you know, especially like, you know, he raced, he ended up buying Adelaide Raceway off Keith Williams, he ended up buying Calder off, I think it was the Pasco family, I think there was five shareholders and he slowly bought into it and bought it off them. And, you know, that, that passion for motorsport, you know, he, he loved his cars, he would put, you know, young guys in cars and, you know, watched him come through the ranks and, you know, he raced with many people and he had many people race our cars and, you know, a lot of those guys came on to be, you know, very famous Australian racing car drivers. They won many championships in our cars and, you know, when they went on after us. And I think, you know, if you look back, one of the big influences in the 70s and the 80s was not just Bob, but we had um, Alan Coleman, who was a really big part of our business. And Alan, you know, was really passionate about motorsport as well. And he went on, particularly in the former Ford side of things, I think with Mark Webber and, you know, a lot of the guys that came through Formula Ford got sponsored by Bob Jane Team Arts, thanks to Alan. So I think, you know, there's been a, a big part of our business has been about, you know, bringing motorsport like NASCAR to Australia, you know, bringing people through motorsport 
And, you know, it's just been something that's that I've seen all my life. So, you know, I've met all these guys when I was younger and I've seen them come through and I probably didn't think much of it. And, you know, I think Bob has, has done so much for motorsport in this country and so much for driving and bringing people into motorsport and, and sponsoring them through it. Like in the NASCAR days, yeah, the amount of people he supported into NASCAR or Oscar or other categories in the oval track racing was insane. Um, you know, he brought the Australian Grand Prix, you know, unofficially to Australia. What was it, 81, 82, 83, maybe even 84. I think it was four years or three years. You know, and, you know, think about that. He brought Alan Jones out. He brought, you know, um, Jacques Lafitte out, he, Nicky Lauda. You know, all these very famous 4-1 drivers came and raced at Calder. So, you know, to him it was just about a show. It was about bringing people through it. And then for us, I think, in, you know, we started... Thanks to Sonic and Michael Ritter and Marie Ritter, we you know joined them in 2003 in Career Cup, and from there they're like we've got this young guy Dave Reynolds, and you know Dave sort of you know wants to race Career Cup. He's come through for the Ford. So Dave was our first relationship, and you know like you know he's still a great friend of mine. You know I think he's a fantastic driver. I think he's got heaps of spunk, and you know the, the motorsport needs more people like him, right? You know people that you know got a bit of life to them. And some spark and you know then we've had you know countless other guys come through you know some still racing here some racing overseas and you know for us it's just about you know look it's great for our brand as bob jane team arts it's great to support these guys coming through motorsport and it's awesome when they go on and do something bigger and better so you know i think it's just a relationship we've really enjoyed and it's been a lot of it's been thanks to you know the bob jane team art side of it and heaps to sonic because Michael and Maria picked these great young guys that have got great attitudes, they're talented drivers and they've you know come through and done some fantastic things and won some championships for us. So I think it's mutually beneficial for, for motorsport in general and for our brand, which is why we still do it, and for these young guys who have been you know, amazing. We thank Rodney for that chat. We thank all the people we spoke to. I think I had seven, eight, there's like 15 different voices in this episode of Parked Up, including Tanea McLeod, who, uh, of course, you run your own podcast, but does this not show that this is the supreme podcast? Parked Up is the supreme podcast. Well, we can't actually have you on Girls on the Grid, Grant, because you're not a girl on the grid. So, so I mean, that doesn't make you superior. Now, hang on. So we had Gary Rogers on before and he's dressed as a girl on the grid before. Do you reckon he could come on the girls on the grid? So in their final round, when I worked for JRM at Newcastle, they did their final big hurrah thing. And he put this full like pink dress on. No joke. There was pink feathers stuck from A to Z throughout that trailer. There was a pink feather that rode on James Golding's car that wasn't stuck there. It just had blown on there somehow off Gary's dress, which is funny to say, off Gary's dress and lasts the whole 250 kilometres around Newcastle. So if that doesn't say the power of Gary Rogers, I don't know what does. Well, that tells me he's definitely a candidate to be on Girls on the Grid one day. Tanea McLeod, thank you so much for joining me today on Parked Up. Of course, you'll hear from Tanea and Priya Richards on Girls on the Grid every Monday. Later in Monday, you'll hear from Mark Fogarty with Parked Up Plus, all the latest breaking news and opinion. Uh, and also we've got the Napa Auto Parts Grassroots Racing Podcast. This week, Gary O'Brien and Darren Smith tackle Darren Hossack. 
with uh, a whole bunch of questions on his amazing career across the years. He started in karts, he went to Formula Ford, he did supercars, he's done sports sedans. He's done just about everything in Australian motorsports. So uh, really looking forward to you guys hearing that. The uh, Grassroots Racing Podcast is every second Friday and the uh, the next one with Hossack comes out this Friday. So tomorrow, if you're listening to this, as Parked Up comes out. Okay, no worries. That's uh, that's all I've got to say. Tanea, thanks for joining us today. No worries, Grant Rowley. You'll hear from us next week. You've just listened to another Network R production.